Children's Church. I'm not sure. Follow Miss Naomi. No, no, don't follow Miss Naomi. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Ockers. Uh, guest, you are in for a special treat today, uh, to say the least. Um, we, uh, Pastor Brian has, has gone to spend time with his wife this weekend, and uh, he has asked my, my brother and I to fill in for him. So we're doing this together, not just uh, my brother and I alone. So today, uh, for first, my name's Cody, and this is my brother Casey. Uh, we both go to Southeastern uh, Baptist Theological Seminary, the college there. Um, so for some of you who do not know that, yes, we're studying to be pastors. Um, it's very difficult. I read a bunch. I'm sorry. So don't, don't let my, my nervousness uh, affect you. Um, but let me pray first, and uh, we'll get started. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for just uh, for the resurrection uh, that we will be speaking about today. God, I thank you for um, just the power that you have given us through the resurrection as believers and uh, that we can fight sin and we can fight uh, off death and um, things of those natures just to, to be with you, Lord. I thank you for um, just the privilege to do this. Um, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I believe Casey's going to read the, uh, our text this morning. We're going to be looking at Luke 24. Um, so if you would turn there, the first uh, 12 verses, and uh, he's going to do that for us. Give you all a second to get there. Verse 1, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Thank you, Casey. Uh, what if I told you that the resurrection never happened? Well, nobody shot me, so that's good. Um, so you think about that. But today... Uh, Casey and I are going to give specific reasons and evidences for why we believe. Not just believe, but we are convinced that the resurrection is really true. And some say that, that um, we're spiritually just enheightened, that we don't, uh, that's really not possible for this to happen. And so today, we're going to walk through the text and, and give you uh, some evidences for why we are really uh, convinced, not just we believe, but really convinced in the resurrection. Uh, so, as we're thinking about that, and why does it matter? Why does the resurrection really matter? If he did rise, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for everybody else? What does that mean for uh, the people in Japan that we just saw? So, as we're thinking about that today, um, I also think about things that don't matter. So the first thing that comes to mind is the sport of NASCAR. Yes, my father, is a, he loves NASCAR, and, and that's fine, but 
We turn in circles the whole time. It just kind of doesn't, I don't get it, you know, until the last two laps, and that's actually kind of exciting because people wreck each other and get in fights. So I love the, the brotherly love display there. But that's just something that I don't really understand, racing, turn left, turn left, turn left. So that's something. I also think about um, just sports sometimes. Yes, I, I love sports, you know. I played basketball and football in high school and all those things. But what is really the meaning of that? Do we sit down and think about that? Do we sit down and, and, and read Scripture on why that's important? Um, I also think about when I was in high school, um, all these kids are buying these new, well, their parents are buying these new cars, and um, they're making them loud and, and making them look cool. And I'm just like, I have my Honda Civic over here. It's pretty good. You know, I get 37 miles to the gallon, so that's fine with me. And those are just things that really don't matter. And so I also think about things that do matter. Um, education does matter. We have a few teachers in here. Education matters. Um, the rules matter. You're like, whoa, rules are meant to be broken, right? No, not exactly. Rules do matter. Um, some of the things that we just take for granted and we just do on a regular basis, on a daily basis, sometimes we forget the purpose of those things or they don't have a purpose. Um, I don't know if, if, if Duke fans really have a purpose in life. I'm, I'm sorry. That's a jab. I'm, I'm very... So, um, as we're walking through this, think, why does this matter? Really, why? Why in the world would Luke write this book and end it with the resurrection so that's really what we're here to, to do today is why does this matter and Casey's going to, to walk through the text for us okay so in verse 1 we see but on the first day of the week so when, when we see the word but walking through scripture you know at the beginning of a, of a sentence we want to look back and see what they were doing before that and so in, ver, in chapter 23 uh, verses 50 onwards, you see that Jesus is buried after he is, after he is killed. Um, Joseph of Arimathea uh, gave his tomb. He was a very rich man, a follower of Jesus, and he wanted a place for Jesus to be properly buried. And so the women in that day and age, like we go put flowers on a grave, would go put spices on the body just kind of for a ceremonial type type of thing. Um, so that's, that's what they were doing on the first day of the week, and, you know, that's Sunday. A lot of times we think that the Sabbath day is Sunday, and it's not. We'll get to that in a second. At early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. Like I just said, they were going to, to, in, to in, uh, memorialize his body. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Okay, so... Last time I checked, when you killed somebody, they usually, you know, put them, they stayed there where you put them. You know, they don't move. They don't get up and walk around. They're not, you know, when you, when you lay somebody down, they're there. You know, so they, they're going in, you know, thinking that he's going to be dead. He's going to be laying there, you know. It's kind of a scary thought, but you're, the last thing on your mind is him getting up and walking out of the tomb. That's kind of crazy. And... You know, it's not like they just missed him, like, you know, he's a small guy. I think a lot of times we get in this image that Jesus is kind of this small, scrawny guy. Jesus was a carpenter. He was a pretty big man. You know, he had to have some muscles on him to work with that wood, you know, and grind it down the way it needed to be. So, you know, he definitely wasn't there. In verse 4, we see that they were perplexed. Now, in the Greek, the term that he's perplexed actually means to be at a mental loss. They had no idea what was going on. They were literally at loss for words, kind of like I am right now, being nervous. Um, so they, they were shocked, to say the least. So let's run this back. I'm, I'm going to continually keep kind of accumulating the story together. They got up to go put spices on the tomb, spices on his body, walked down there. Jesus isn't there, and now they're at a loss. And to top it all off, they see two men standing there in dazzling apparel, the text says. Now, later on in verse 23, I think it is, they say they had seen angels. So from 
dazzling apparel, and later on they see, we see that these men are angels. Okay, so the body of one of their best friends, one of the women's son, their leader, their savior is gone, and now they're seeing angels. This is probably the craziest day of their life, to say the least. So, then in verse 5, we see they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. Okay, a lot of times when we see the word frightened in Scripture, we see, you know, this reverence. It's not really a fear, like I'm trembling, you know, that kind of a thing. But I'm guessing they weren't just revering them. They were probably pretty scared. Like, I'm going to be scared of getting in the car while Cody's driving, that kind of a thing. Because, you know. But, so they're, they're, and they bowed their faces to the ground. Now, in any kind of culture, you know, our culture, you know, even ancient Middle Eastern culture, anytime you, anytime you bow your face to the ground, it's a sign of just a servant, just, just prostrating yourself in front of them. Now, in our day and age, that's still a big thing. But back then, in Jesus' time, in, in his culture, that was a huge thing. Like, you didn't do that unless, you know, you were, you were putting yourself underneath them. That's exactly what they were doing because they knew they were angels. They, they had figured it out. Something clicked. While they were, couldn't think of anything to think about the body being gone, they clicked about them being angels. So, but the angel said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise. So this kind of captured... Uh, Summarizing what Brian was preaching about last week and how he was, it was prophesied and how Jesus prophesied himself about the, his, his death, his crucifixion. So the angels are just kind of reminding them, you know, come on now. You were with him for, one of you were with him for 30 years. You can't remember what he said. You know, this is a pretty big detail. You know, I'm, I'm telling somebody that I'm about to get up out of the grave and walk. I'm going to listen most likely. You know, it's kind of one of those things you pay attention to. But apparently they didn't think about that. So, these women, as we read in a second, we're going to go back to where the disciples were. There's 11 of them and some other uh, people that they, Jesus um, had kind of taken in. They were following Jesus. Okay, so we see that it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, who is the brother of Jesus. So that makes Mary the mother of Jesus. And the women who, who told these things. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. Okay, one second with verse 10. Um, the first evidence we kind of see in, in Scripture is that the women told about the story. They were the first ones to carry the message. Well, you think about 100 years ago in this country, women couldn't even vote or around that time. I don't know. I didn't do good in U.S. history. Um, so, you know, think of 100 years ago, the role of women in this country. Think of 2,000 years ago, the role of women in Middle Eastern countries. Okay? So these women couldn't even carry, they couldn't even testify. Okay? So they didn't carry any kind of credibility in this time. So why would Luke, if, if this is actually false, like we're trying to prove it's not, like it, it actually happened, this is false, why would Luke put women in telling the story. You see where I'm going with this? That makes no sense for Luke to try to persuade somebody. So, you know, you think, it's like, it just doesn't, wouldn't make sense for him to make up a lie and tell it, have an uncredible source telling them. So, that's where we see that. And in verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Well, first of all, if I'm Peter, I'm kind of like, these women just told me that his body's not there. Hmm. They're probably crazy. They're insane. I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know why you're telling me this. I've denied this man three times, and now you're going to bash me, tell me that he's rose from the dead. There is no way that th this is possible. This is what Peter's thinking in his head. It's just like, there is no way. Why would you tell, why would you tell us this? They're thinking the same thing we are. Why would you, as women, tell us that, in that culture at least, why are you telling us that Jesus has rose from the dead? 
with, with him not coming with you. I would have been like, please just bring him with you next time, you know, so I can see. Um, it's not like he'd been dead for like an hour or, you know, 30 minutes. He had been dead for three days. His body literally stunk for three days. Laid in the tomb for three days. And you're telling me that he rose? Wow. That's a big statement. Um, and Peter's an, as uneducated as a fisherman anyways. He's probably not too happy with Mary at this point. But, look at the last verse, verse 12. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking, and he saw the linen cloth by themselves. And he went home marveling at what he, that had happened. You know, we usually think of Peter kind of being the old guy, the, the stocky guy that's going to fight for Jesus at any moment in time or um, as somebody that doesn't get it most of the time, kind of like us. And it says he ran to the tomb. I don't know about you, but that must have took a while. He must have been out of breath when he got there. And so instead of being out of breath and, and weak, at that moment, he sees the tomb is empty and he's automatically, I would say, not in, I wouldn't use the word enthused, but he was joyful. His whole mentality had changed at that point. He marveled at what had happened. Kind of like um, you think of miracles today, people get cured from cancer and they go to the doctor and it's not there. And, and those type of ideas, well, this guy was dead. He, he was crucified and he's not there and he's rose from the dead Peter must be excited first because he denied him and we'll get into that in a minute um, and so as a text clearly states that Jesus rose from the dead the angel said it the women said it and then Peter also responds to that resurrection and Casey actually said this in, uh, in the text. Jesus actually prophesied and emphatically prophesied his resurrection, his death, burial, and resurrection before he was crucified. So it's not like, okay, the disciples made this up and you know, they're going to um, just carry it off and they carried his body off. No. He actually said it. Jesus is a real man. We have historical evidence that he was crucified, historically, not just some made-up story. In Roman history, he is a real person. He is really crucified. There is documents that we have found that state so. So, Jesus knows that people are going to say, you know, these 2,000 years that we've been here since he's been crucified, he knows that people are going to say, hey, this didn't happen Hey, these disciples are crazy. Hey, whatever. But he, to counteract that, he says many times in Luke and in the other three Gospels that he's going to rise and come back to life and be the Savior of mankind. Okay, so our next evidence that we see is actually in 1 Corinthians 15. Don't turn there. I'm going to read the part that's important. Um, well, it's all important. It's all important, but the part that applies to this, yeah, you get what I'm saying. Okay. So in verse 6, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, talking about Jesus, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Okay, so this is Paul writing to the Corinthians. Um, Paul is a very smart man, a very revered man of, of, of scholar, a scholarly approach. So he's, you know, when, you, when, you, when Paul says something, most of the time you pay attention, you at least pay attention to it. So, the first thing we see is that he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Okay, so, it'd be different if, you know, there was 11, 11 uh, apostles that always followed him around, and a couple women, maybe a couple other people that said Jesus was alive. That's one thing. That's people, you know, trying to make up something because their minds are playing tricks on them. But five, more than 500 people, okay, that's like saying, hey, we have two basketball goals in here. That's like saying, the, this section of the room, you know, the, these first two rows are saying that I jumped up and dus- dunked a basketball later on the day. Not happening. Y'all aren't laughing. That's supposed to be funny. Um, 
So that's, you know, that's kind of out there, you know. I mean, I'm a decently athletic guy. I played sports all my life. I'm still not going to be able to dunk a basketball. Okay, that's like more than 500 people. That's like almost three or four times as many people as in here right now. Jesus appeared to them at one time or another. And Paul says most of these guys are still alive. So it's not like these people are dead and gone too. You know, you don't see that. Like they don't, can't defend for themselves. You know, Paul's putting words in their mouth. No, they actually are alive. They actually testify for themselves. But Paul's doing it for them. Okay? And he says some of who have fallen asleep, that's death. Um, they're kind of metaphor for that. So that's, that's kind of what we're at now. So you have more than 500 people, plus the disciples, plus the people that were with him constantly, that are seeing that, the saying that Jesus is alive, that somebody is dead, and now he's alive. Also, some people would say that this is just a lie, that they collaborated, big word, together, and, and said, uh, Jesus rose from the dead, even though we, we took his body, and everything. but this is a lie. So, usually, when, when we lie, because I have lied before, I'll be honest with you, I'm sure everybody else has, and we do it for a gain of some sort. We don't lie t- to get into trouble. We lie to get out of trouble. We lie to look cooler or look better. We lie to um, not hurt someone's feelings or of that nature. Kind of like uh, when I stole a cookie out of the cookie jar, I said, he stole it. Well, looks, who looks like more of the stealer over here? So that would, that's, that's a lie that I would say. Is I, I don't want to get in trouble. I am placing the guilt on him. So why in the world would you make up a lie that gets you killed? Not just killed, brutally murdered, stoned, crucified, upside down. Why would you do that? I wouldn't do that. It's kind of like asking me, um, do you think Carolina's the greatest basketball team in the world? Well, yeah, well, I'm going to shoot you if you do. Well, no, they're not. Sorry. Back up a second. I, I'm not ever going to say that if my life depends on it. You can think of any other example without certain, that you would, that you would say, yes, I believe that. I would back up and say, no, hold on a second. I want my life to be saved. But the disciples stood firmly not on a lie, but on something that is very true, and they saw it, and they believe it. And you see all across history, people who have, have been murdered for this cause. You think the first m- disciple, apostle murdered in Acts is Stephen. And he's front of, in front of the council, and he's speaking to them and saying, you can say what you want to, but for me, I believe. And he stands firmly in his belief. It's not some lie that he made up. You think about the missionaries that go overseas, to, even today, into, into the countries that don't allow Christianity. They don't go because they think it's a lie. That makes no sense. They go because they believe, they're convinced that this Jesus did raise from the dead. And that Jesus did um, save them from their sins. And so, when somebody says, oh, it's just a lie, they made this up, there's no way. All you have to say is, would you lie and get killed for it? And usually, I don't know what, I don't know what, what they would say. So, think about that as, as we're thinking about what does this really mean? What does this really matter to us? Okay, so the next kind of fun fact for y'all is Jesus' tomb was not enshrined or memorialized. Okay. So even, you know, today we put flour, you know, we make the tomb, the, the tombstone, the, the area, they make it, you know, look kind of nice. Um, back then, what I was saying about the spices in, in verse 1 is that there was never any kind of mem- memorialization or kind of any kind of ceremonial type thing done to it because of the Sabbath. Now see, Jesus was, you know, killed on a Friday, you know, we see that. And Saturday was a Sabbath day. So they couldn't do, they couldn't go to the tomb, they couldn't go there and see, you know, and, and look at it and put the spices in 
Um, and kind of make, you know, make the, the tomb look pretty, make it smell nice, you know, dead body in there, it's rotten, you know, they don't smell good. Um, so they're kind of doing that kind of uh, enshrining his tomb. You know, for other people, you would see that. You can go in into other tombs and see where, that, where this has been done, where there are certain things have been left over from that process. But you can never find anything in Jesus' tomb because there is no tomb, for one thing. But another thing, we would know it because of what they said and how they enshrined it. But there was never a tomb enshrined for Jesus. You have a very rich man in Joseph of Arimathea that gives, his, his, gives Jesus his tomb. You know, you'd think that they would kind of make that known that it was Jesus. You know, he was still a great teacher. Whether most people, most atheists or, or other be, uh, beliefs think that Jesus was still a great teacher. But they don't believe that he re- rose. I'm losing my words here, sorry. Um, but, he, but he did rise because you can see there, there's no tomb. You can't find a tomb for Jesus. That's, that's kind of the next thing we, that we see. Also, those same people um, say that the body must have been stolen. I've kind of hinted at that already. The body was taken by a disciple or the women or whoever else got there first. And Scripture is explicitly ahead of what people think. It automatically directs what it says. It says, even people say that the body was stolen. We see that in Matthew and in Mark that this, it's, not, it's not afraid to say, hey, people think and will say that the body was stolen, but this is not true. Jesus rose from the dead. Um, also, you think about the Roman guards. The, the guards were placed there in front of the tomb to keep secure. These are not... Um, these are probably, probably some of the best guards that, that the Romans had at this point, that the Jews enlisted from them. Because they didn't want Jesus, anything to happen to his body. They were afraid of this. And so they sent the, probably two of the best there, that's just spe- complete speculation, by the way, to the ones to, to watch Jesus' body over. And I'm pretty sure women are not going to take the body from two soldiers with swords. I'm pretty sure that would probably get interrupted. Even Peter probably could have not got, got past two guards. He's probably going to get arrested and, and taken to jail for that. So it's very unlikely that people stole the body in front of the Roman guards. Uh, also, um, it's been 2,000 years, and we still have no idea. You know, a body's going to be de- decayed, but they, they have processes now to say how old the body is and how, whatever else. And we still haven't found the body. It's not been found. Yes, it will be bone, but we still haven't found anything to resemble that. Okay, so it's not just a lie. It's not just, you know, we stole the body, and this ain't just a whole conspiracy theory. It's not it. It's really happened. Jesus really did raise from the dead. He really did rise. Okay. Also, um, we look at a good character in Saul uh, and Paul. So Casey's going to inform us on that one. Okay, so this guy named Saul, who I've already read from, he wrote 1 Corinthians when his name was changed to Paul after on the road to Damascus. Okay, so you have a very prominent Jewish leader in Saul, Persecuting the Christians. He was killing people for believing in Christ. Think about that. He was killing people for what he would soon do to make his life's work. That's what he is known for, is you know, sharing the gospel with people. So why would somebody who hates Christians, who killed them, just turn around and run the other direction? You know, he, he hated Christians. He hated Jesus. He didn't want anything to do with this. He was a, he was a very uh, prideful in his beliefs in, in Judaism. So that's like, it's like Lex Lore, Lover, and Superman. You know, I think most of y'all get that. It's like uh, the Batman movies just come out. You know, it's like the Joker like in Batman. You know, it just things don't happen. You know, it's kind of like Fred shaking Coach K's hand. I don't think he'd do that. I, don't, I think know, Fred's over there laughing. I don't, that's kind of the same idea here. This is because Fred goes to Carolina and Coach K is the coach at Duke. For some of y'all who don't know the context, 
know, Carolina hates Duke. You know, that, that would never happen. You would never see, you know, Dave or Christie, who are Duke fans, go shake Roy Williams' hand. That would never happen. You know, it's, it's crazy. That it's kind of, these are kind of small-scale details, you know. But this is kind of the same idea that you get the same, the same feeling from this. So Saul, who's converted to Paul, is a Christian. So that's kind of the, one of the major things that we see in, in history and from, obviously, the Bible in, in the story of Acts. Another evidence that we have is um, if you look at the char- characteristics of the disciples, especially Peter, they are scared, frightened. They don't understand what Jesus is saying. They never get it. So in, in, in one word, and, and most of the youth know I like to use this word, um, G, uh, Peter is a weak sauce. He is, he's soft. He, he doesn't, he's not very outgoing in that manner. He, he just kind of sits back because he's scared. He really is the term for weak sauce. And so um, we see in, in John 21 um, kind of Peter's reinstatement. Because Peter has denied Jesus three times. Not just once, not, just, not twice, but three times. He even denied Jesus as he walked in front of him. He wasn't buying, he wasn't, didn't see, it wasn't like, oh, I don't see Jesus, oh, I don't, you know, I can talk about him behind his back. No, he saw Jesus walk across, and as Jesus walked across, he denied him to other people. Now, you had just, you, so let's, let's look at this. He just got back from the tomb. He, he has marvelously looked at Jesus' resurrection, and he's, for his probably first thought was, I denied him, and he probably knows it. And he told him that he was going to, so he does know it. It's kind of like us when, when we sin and, and, we, and we get in that rut, we're like, ah, I can't talk to Jesus. He, 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 he's probably upset with me. When in fact, our sin has been laid to rest. We look at Peter's life, and we often criticize him for being the guy that doesn't get it and, and being the, the scaredy cat or the person that doesn't want to stand up. And to be honest, that's usually me. And I'm in a circle. We're, we, my brother and I are in a circle, so to speak, a bubble at Southeastern. When I went to China, I was scared, very scared. I'm going to be a pastor one day. How can that be? If I really believe this, that Jesus really rose from that, how can I really be scared? So I am the same as Peter in some cases. But we see a marvelous change and Peter. So John chapter 21 verse 15. I'll read this to you. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon of son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, uh, said to him tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus understands what Peter's going through. And he, and he is, re- we see the first part of this, that it grieves Peter's heart. That Jesus had to ask him three times, and symbolically, Peter denied him three times. And he just said three times that he loves Jesus. So Jesus counteracts what Peter has done 
with asking him, do you love me? And will you feed my sheep? And will you be a shepherd? He also asked him to be the leader of the church that is coming. So Jesus entrusts him with a big responsibility. Not just a simple, I forgive you, but he reinstates him just like he does us. Now, I want to I read a quote that I, I learned from somebody um, at, in Raleigh um, at, a, at a disciple now that I took a part of for youth. and um, This is what he said about the gospel. The power of the gospel brings transformation to all those who believe. The power of the gospel brings transformation to all those who believe. It's not just an idea that we hold. It transforms us and leads us that way. Romans 1.16, kind of the, the motto of, of, of the younger generation, says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to also the Greek. This transformation that we receive, this character change that we see in ourselves and in Peter and in Paul and in Stephen and all the other ones, all the disciples, everyone throughout history, it's the power of the gospel and nothing less. And nothing more. So we see that Peter denies Jesus and and he doesn't understand a lot of times. But after the Holy Spirit comes, after the power of the gospel has been has just like we have the Holy Spirit, after Peter has really been restored to his full self through the Holy Spirit and through Jesus. Um, in Acts chapter 4, the ca- Peter and John are preaching the gospel. They're, they're, they're doing what Jesus act, asked them in Acts 1. He is preaching the gospel. And the council, then uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, come up to them and say, you need to stop this. This is false. You need to go home and think about what you've done, pretty much. Go in time out. And Jesus stands firmly in what he says. For you, in your eyes, it might not be right to preach God in Jesus' name, but for me, I will preach Jesus. And that is a paraphrase from from Acts 4. But But Peter stands firm this time. He is inhaled by the power of the gospel. He is, he is held up by that, just like we are. He is literally standing on the power of the gospel at that moment when he counteracts the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees at that moment. He is really standing for Jesus. And what a huge Huge difference that is from de- from denying Jesus. That's a huge difference. But also, like Peter was, we oftentimes miss some of these things. And so, I want to give you a math qua- a math equation. It's just a simple addition. So, if you're taking notes, please write this down. St- Stated belief, I've also told the youth this, stated belief plus actual practice. So you would add the two. Stated belief, that's what I say. I say I believe in Jesus. I say I love Jesus. That's my stated belief. Plus my actual practice. So I can say I love Jesus all day. I can sit up here and tell you I love Jesus. But if I don't act it, if we don't act it, who is going to see the change in our lives? 
So the, the equation would equal actual belief. Our actual belief is not just what we say, but it's how we act as well. It's not just how we say, I love Jesus. It's how do you act towards the person in a car cutting you off, someone who doesn't see that. Or on Black Friday shopping, which I did not go to, to the person who cuts in front of you. How do you act towards them? Is it something more? Or do you fly off the handle and say, and, and let your temper get a hold of you? Or do you stand on the power of the gospel? In chapter 24 of Luke, we also see later on um, Cleopas, one of the men that um, sees Jesus afterward, he, after he has rose from the dead. Jesus walks with him and and Jesus talks with him and and Casey, would you read that if you have that ready? Um, so it's in verse, it's chapter twenty four, the same passage reading verses thirteen to thirty five was that story. I'm not going to read it to you; it's kind of long. But basically, what happens is is Cleopas and I think somebody else is walking um, on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus comes up beside of him, but he don't know it's Jesus. He is he has cloaked himself, you know, kind of hidden, hid, hidden his identity from their eyes because Jesus can do that because he's God. Um, so they don't know. And, you know, they're talking about, you know, talking about Jesus and talking about, talking about all these things, but, but Cleopas never, never figured it out. He never noticed that it was Jesus. He never, he, he didn't get it. So we miss it. Um, I got a new book, you know, I read a lot, and Cody thinks I'm crazy for reading stuff that's not assigned to me, you know, just reading for fun, um, which I might be, but um, in a book I, I just got, it's by a guy named Tripoli, he's a, he's a music artist, um, he said a very, a very good quote that really applies to the situation, he says, he's talking about himself, he says, growing up, I called myself a Christian, because I'd heard the facts, and I'd argued with them, but looking back, I don't think I really was a Christian because I hadn't truly trusted in Jesus. My life hadn't changed. I still relied solely on myself. I was looking back at that third aspect of true faith. Missing that third part is the difference between acknowledging a life-saving drug and actually taking it. It's the difference between saying, I hear a bomb and actually getting out of the building. This kind of halfway faith is useless. Faith that doesn't affect your life isn't really faith. Saying something that you believe, saying that you believe it, like Cody just said, doesn't matter unless it changes your life. You know, you can sit here in church, you can go to, you can miss, not miss any Sundays in your entire life in church, and that means nothing. Until it actually changes your life, until every aspect aspect of your life has changed. The way you talk, the way you think, the way you treat others, the way you handle your money, everything. Everything has to be changed. If not everything is changed, then what are you giving to God? You're not giving him anything. He asks for everything. Sometimes um, I'm thinking about myself and I know I miss it. I sit back here as Baxter was singing and leading us in worship and at that moment, Satan was attacking me. And I look on the screen and it said, Our sin has been washed away. At that very moment, as Satan is attacking me, Jesus is, is telling me that my sin had been washed away. And I forget that. I miss that. I miss the power of the gospel sometimes. For Peter, this meant something to him. What does it mean to us? Some of you know that I'm coaching basketball in Raleigh and working with with teenagers, teenage boys especially. Um, They're very inconsistent sometimes practicing basketball. Very inconsistent in how they act towards other people. And we had a bad practice one night. And I was just like, what does this mean to you? If it means nothing, then why show up? 
why go through all these drills and things that we do if it doesn't mean anything? Why show up here today if this means absolutely nothing? We know that, that this meant something to Peter because he was crucified upside down for preaching Jesus. This meant something to him. This meant something to Stephen who was stoned. This, meant something, this means something to the family who is, who is in the corner of the world where, where the light of Jesus is very dim. And their whole family is there. And they're worried about police coming to get them. Or in the, in, in the African desert where militias are in control in most of the places. And their family could be murdered. It means something to them. And it should mean something to us. This is not something that we can idly place on the on the the table beside our bed. Like oftentimes we do. This is not something that we can just say, hey, I believe in Jesus and I'll act on it. Hey, I believe and I don't really act that way. If the gospel doesn't change your life, then it's not worth anything. And if it doesn't change it today, then when? And if it doesn't change it here, then where? Where will we take a stand on really standing on the power of the gospel that transforms our life? When will we not miss it? And yes, we sin all the time. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about really taking hold of the power of the gospel that Jesus died for our sins and we are free from sin. We are free. We are free to preach Jesus anywhere. And yes, there are laws in other countries that we can't preach that, but under God's freedom, we are able to preach that. And under his power, we can preach that with nothing else. We can't preach it with anything else but his power. So again, I ask you, if not today, when? And if not here, where? Would you pray with me? Father, as, as your word has been preached and, and your son has been preached and his resurrection and his power and your power has been preached, God, I pray that you really grip our hearts you really grip our minds and souls and say that this is not just something we believe. This is not just something we say, but it's something that, we, that matters to us. It's something that we take hold of and we own and we take our faith and use it and act upon it. God, I pray for, for your spirit to be strong in this time of response. That your spirit is overwhelming in some of our lives. God, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, as Baxter plays, I'm going to stand up here in the front. I'm going to sing. And um, if you need me, also fess. And I'll tell you, after that, I might need uh, some tag team uh, announcement giving. Yeah, I'm just uh, constantly amazed that a God of the entire universe would show up in a gym. It doesn't really matter who stands on that rickety stage if you come expecting to hear a word not from man but to come expecting to meet with God you'll meet with him doesn't matter who sings on that rickety stage if you'll come to sing to a God who created it he'll hear you and he'll bless you I'm just so thankful that he loves somebody like me uh, we have a lot of announcements this morning um, Scott Huffman is our Deacon of the Week, and I know that he'll proudly serve you in any way that he can. And so if you would, just give him a call. His uh, home numbers and cell numbers are there for you. Um, Women on Mission, uh, sponsoring the Lottie Moon Christmas Post Office. Um, 
If you would, bring your cards for church members. Uh, the tables are set up in the gym throughout the 23rd of this month. Uh, and just make a simple donation for postage. They'll make sure your cards get where they need to, and it saves you the, uh, the postage in the mail. Uh, also, uh, mission trip to New Jersey uh, sometime in January of 2013. Uh, if you're interested, see Brother Fess. Uh, man, awesome opportunity to give uh, to Lottie Moon. Uh, maybe more than just money for some of us. Um, Sunday nights, uh, Miss Audrey wanted me to remind you that uh, tonight, today, is the last day to give money uh, for the Webster children. Uh, so if you would, see her, uh, make sure she gets that by tonight. Um, also, collecting the soft drink uh, cans and the tabs. Uh, I was under the impression it was just the cans, but no, it's both. Uh, the cans and the tabs, so uh, you can also see Miss Audrey for that. I'm looking forward to the 23rd, 6 o'clock. That's when our children will be uh, giving their uh, Christmas uh, presentation, Noel the First. Um, another opportunity to serve on Christmas Day. Uh, if you're not uh, going to be traveling that day and you'll be uh, available uh, around 4.30, volunteers are needed at the Salvation Army and needed to cook, serve, and minister. And also, uh, I think, uh, hope Miss Cindy's in here, uh, tomorrow night, we as a church have an opportunity to serve uh, the Child Enrichment Center and just take some of the, uh, I guess, the burden off of those teachers who work here every day. You know, we can come and set up and we can come and serve meals and, you know, we can come and clean up. Uh, so if you would like to participate in that, uh, please see Miss Cindy. Uh, I know that she would appreciate your help. Um, some meetings, building and grounds team will meet uh, immediately after Sunday school uh, today in the Bollinger Center. And... Brother Marvin wanted me to uh, ask if the deacons would meet him uh, for just about a minute and a half or two minutes over here in this front corner uh, after our service today. Did I miss any announcements that handbells at five? Anything else? And just an opportunity. Um, I just came out of a, uh, a small group study of the gospel, and we don't want to stop meeting. Um, you know, the gospel is... is more than just a book, it's what we should live uh, day in and day out. And so there's going to be a group of us uh, who are going to start uh, going through the book, uh, the gospel. And we would just like to invite anybody uh, who is interested in going through that. Uh, you know, we're just going to, to read a chapter a week, and then we'll get together and we'll discuss it. And then hopefully uh, God will pour himself uh, into us and through us and then out into a world. So... Uh, that's it. Uh, we are dismissed to our life application groups. Thank you.